It is good uh, to be here this morning, and I know that many of us are here uh, after weekends and weeks of just um, uh, moments we would say, Lord, how is it possible that you just continue to bless me this much? And then some of us are here under the most dire of circumstances, and we're thinking, Lord, are, are you ever going to show up? We, there's a wide variety, there's an extreme here this morning, and, but here's the one thing that, that, that we all have in common. For all of us, no matter where it is that we are in life, whether it's desirable or undesirable circumstances, all of us have the same Savior that we must look towards. Because no matter how good it is, it could be better. No matter how bad it is, it could be worse. I knew this, regardless of where we are, the book of 1 Peter is going to tell us that Jesus always has been, always will be um, our hope. He is a living hope. Now here's where we've gone thus far in this series. Just a few weeks, we won't recap them all, but just a few things to say about what we've had put in front of us. The whole book tells us that when faith gets difficult, we can stand firm. It's not a guarantee we will, but we can. We have that opportunity. It tells us that a living hope is an active hope. It is not passive. It is a pursuit of the person of Christ. It tells us also that Jesus will not stop building his church. Now, here's where we're going to go today. Now, keep in mind, two weeks ago, we said there's this section right here in 1 Peter that is devoted toward what does it look like for us as a people to live out submission when it is that we have some challenging circumstances. Now, today, I'm going to just quote another theologian who I think said it very well. Another male pastor said this. Today, a dude talking about wives submitting to their husbands. What could go wrong? <laughs> I have every confidence that somebody here today is going to have some level of offense. And I am not trying. I just know that the day and age in which we live in is a different day and age. And I want to give you my word. I have studied. I have done my best to pray even beforehand. I will I will do everything within my power to stay to what the text has to say, and I will stay away from personal opinions. How do we stick to the principles of the Scriptures? You have your Bibles open with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to show you where we are in the section in the book. So the first section is just the introduction. It's chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That next section, which we finished a few weeks ago, is believe what it is that God has done. There's a lot of theological truth that is given that sets the stage for the rest of the book. Where we are right now is live for the glory of God. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 11, it's going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. Not that there's a way in which we are called to live that is not for the glory of God, but very specifically, how do we live in such a way that brings direct attention to God. What does it mean for God to, uh, to have glory brought to him? It means that his reputation is increased amongst those who do not know him. And it means that the satisfaction level of those who do know him is increased. So what is the whole point of what he's saying right now? He talked about submission to the government. I'm thankful Bob uh, treated the passage more broadly um, because it's not a one-to-one of slaves and masters in the workplace. It's the closest comparison that we have. But on a broader scale, I think Bob did a great job last week of talking about what it looks like for us to, to uh, for slaves to submit to masters. Now he's going to get honed in and he's going to go into the home. And so today's message, and I rarely tell you what the title of the message is, Hope for the Home. See, here's what I know. 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, wherever you are on the spectrum, there are many of us here today who have loved ones who do not know the Lord. And we have never stopped praying. And we never will. And there is nothing that we could think of that would say, God, this would bring me here on earth the greatest amount of peace if you would simply move in the hearts and minds of those that are closest to me. I can tell you after talking with parents for years and years and student ministries and uh, myself, I, if God would somehow or another guarantee me the salvation of all of those that I, I love the most, that are the close, closest to me, there is nothing I wouldn't trade. No amount of money, my health I would give up in a heartbeat. My very life, I would breathe my last laughing, knowing that the Lord had guaranteed that he would bring all of those that I love into his presence for an eternity. The flip side of that is true that when we don't know, there's oftentimes a great deal of angst that we will deal with. So, notice what he says here in this section. It is probably the greatest evangelistic tool that God has set up. What is it? It's a godly life. Today, if you don't feel competent in sharing the good news of the gospel, it's okay. We're here to help you. We're here to train you. There's multiple ways you can do that. But I want you to hear this. Words are essential because words have to be spoken. However, godly lives are far more compelling than persuasive lips. You may not have a tongue that has been gifted to be able to say, in fact, you Sometimes you may think this thing just gets in the way a lot. I, I get tongue-tied. I can't. I, uh, you may not have persuasive words in front of people. Do not sweat it. A godly life is far more compelling than persuasive lips. He's going to tell us this. He's going to use very specifically the human relationship of a husband and wife, but the, the principle is much broader. So, if you have your copy of the scriptures, look with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you would stand in honor of God's word, and we'll read the first seven verses, and then look at that today. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are uh, her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You may be seated.
Now, you'll notice in this section here, uh, it's a little bit of the opposite of what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul takes a very little amount and, and addresses that to wives. And then Peter takes a, a much more amount and addresses it to wives. Paul addresses a ton to husbands, and Peter addresses very little to husbands. Now, what's the deal? What's going on here? Understand this. I'm going to say it again and again. What is Peter's point? What's his purpose in writing this? It's not an exhaustive treatment on marriage. Paul is fleshing that out to a much greater degree. Peter is looking at a very specific example. What does it look like to submit ourselves as God's people, you ready, for, to pagan authorities? So when he's writing this, the primary audience in mind is this, is women who are married to men who do not know the Lord. It's the primary target audience. It does not mean that it is not applicable to uh, wives who are married to Christian men. It just means that the, the group that he's going after uh, specifically is, okay, ladies, I know you're married to men who do not know the Lord. And so what does it look like now in order to win their hearts to the Lord? Very simple outline for you this morning. Here's what he's going to tell women to do right here on the front end of this. Ladies, he's going to say, lead him, smaller case H, to him. And he's going to tell her to do this for him. Now, I don't know what your relationship looks like. I don't know how you uh, function in your marriage. Every marriage is different. There are general principles that will apply in each and every culture, but every marriage is going to be distinct and it is going to be different. Here, he's saying to wives, here's what I want you to do. In order to lead him to him, the first way to do that is to follow him for him. Meaning the motive and drive of your heart is to follow your husband, to submit to your husband. For what purpose? To hold up his fragile ego? No. To win the respect of everyone around? Not necessarily. It is for the honor and the glory of God. That's what drives you. What drives us in submitting to a government that oftentimes we will disagree with? Again, not talking about violating biblical principles, but submitting to a government. What what does it look like to submit to a boss that we may not necessarily agree with? Well, it means ultimately that your decision becomes our decision. We choose to follow. And how we choose to follow determines everything. Can I ask you this? Again, although it's not a one-to-one, but looking back at last week, let's say you were to have... A, a, some sort of uh, friction with your boss, some sort of interaction uh, with your boss that may cause some level of angst and pain and struggle, etc. Uh, what do you think is going to win uh, the, the right to be heard, meaning you are going to be heard, not only by this boss, but by the others around you? What do you think is going to more effectively do that? To go around and to speak of how stupid and moronic and atrocious and awful your boss is to all the other employees? Or is it to say, I respectfully disagree, but I'll tell you what, this is the decision, and and I'm going after it wholeheartedly. When I was a high school quarterback um, on a team that that, uh, handed the ball off a lot, um, coach just didn't trust my arm, and with good reason, I had a terrible arm. 
was a junior in high school, and we had this fantastic offensive line, and, and these guys were uh, uh, big and strong and mobile, um, and I just didn't get hit a whole lot except for one particular game. And on one particular game, I got hit by uh, a guy that would go on to play at Auburn, and my, um, he was at the time uh, honorable mention All-State running back who was 5'8 and 135 pounds. On the bootleg, try to hand the ball off, fake the hand off to him. He goes around. He's there to block this guy that is 6'4", 220 pounds. Watching on the film was quite entertaining. <laughs> he gives the best effort to block this guy. He bounces off of his thigh pads on the ground. Guy just doesn't even slow down as he comes towards me. I hit my tight end going on the tight end drag across the field, and he picks me up perfectly, face mask into the chest, picks me up along with his 6'4 height. You see this. It's like I was jumping. A, I got vertical. It was really cool. Picks me and then dumps me on the ground. Clean hit. It'd be legal today. I'm in there. That's because a bunch of wimps today. Just kidding. Get down. And then I have this concussion. Now, here's what happens after that concussion. I, I got a little gun shy. And so there was a particular game we had coming up in which it is so clear the play that we need to call. It, it's obvious. The play we need to call is just a halfback right over the tackle. All we needed was a yard. Coach calls the same play that I got my concussion on. And guess what kind of an end they have over here? And guess who's still the same running back? And in my head, I got, there's no way I'm running this play. And so Coach and I have a little dialogue right there on the sidelines. He says, that's the play, run it. I go to the huddle. And by the way, all the guys know the play that we need to run as well. I'm there. Everybody. So I say, here's the play. And the guys go, oh. And here's what I did as the leader. I said, I know. I know. This play's never going to work. This is what coach wants. So let's run it. Now, did I technically submit and do the play? Yeah. But it misses the heart of what Peter is talking about. Because you know what the word that he uses here is? It is a word that would have blown the minds off of everybody listening. And they would have thought, oh my goodness, Peter is a liberal, along with that other liberal Paul who's writing about the way that we relate to one another. He is giving women a choice. Because the term that he uses means it's a voluntary, willing submission. You choose. You don't have to. Nowhere we ever find in the scriptures where the husband is commanded to make the wife submit. In fact, you'll find the opposite over and over and over again. The exact opposite. What I cho chose to do was to go ahead and say, yeah, I'll, I'll run the play, but uh, I'm really not going to honor the coach in this. Now, how much respect do you think that won over of those guys? I'll spare you the whole story, but the very next year, my senior year, praise God, I'd actually matured a tad bit. And almost the identical situation occurs. I'm in there, and Coach and I had a dialogue on the sidelines. This is the play, run it. I go out and say, guys, this is the play. Ah, uh, no, no, no. They're thinking that we're going to run, and here's what we're going to run, and it's going to work like a charm. The guy's in the huddle. All right. Now, it didn't work like a charm. 
<clears throat> but the guys didn't have an attitude against coach for the rest of the year. See, my senior year, we had no business making the playoffs. None whatsoever. We were terrible. My starting guard was about 15 pounds lighter than me, and I bench-pressed 40 pounds more than he did. We, we were, I ran for my life, but we made the playoffs. My junior year, we were preseason ranked number six in the state but because we didn't have respect for coaching staff, in large part due to me. We didn't even make the playoffs. Ladies, if you have concerns about submitting to your husbands, well, that's because you have a thinking mind and a beating heart. The thought of submitting to a deeply flawed human being ought to be frightening. But your motive, according to Peter, is this. It's for the glory of God. He says, likewise, likewise, which is, going back to all these other places, why do we do this? We do this so that people may glorify God on the day of visitation. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now listen to this. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. This is a great way that he phrases this. Some who do not obey the word is very clearly just referring to those who do not have a walk with God. That they may be one. It's a great term. They may be won over. It's the same word is used other times in, in the military where there was a battle that was fought and the, and the one side is victorious in there. These men are going to be won how? By you leaving tracks in the bathroom and in his car and walking through the gospel every 30 minutes with him and asking if he's read the Bible and asking if he's seen the prayer requests. No. He's going to be won by your conduct. He's going to be won without a word. Now, here's what Peter is not saying. <clears throat> He's not saying words are never to be used. Because in other places in Scripture, we know that how can they come to faith unless they hear? Hear what? The gospel message. It's vital. It's essential. It's important. God has chosen in his sovereignty to make this a necessary means by which someone will come to faith but it doesn't necessarily have to come from you. And he will see it lived out in you over and over and over and over again. And just like that water going over the rock underneath the, uh, uh, in, a, in a stream gets smoothed out over time, here's what he's going to do. He's going to watch you and say, man, alive. Something about her. You know, we have right now, I'm just looking around, I'm aware of right now of at minimum three stories. People face that. I see another right. Three stories where this has been the case. Where husbands did not know the Lord. And yet these wives faithfully prayed for, faithfully followed, faithfully trusted. And over time, each of these husbands will tell you what made the difference. It was just watching her. Just how she responded. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Yes, this does have a moral tone to it in terms of purity, 
Uh, that it means that she would be faithful to her husband. Of course, that's implied there, but it's not limited to that. Your respectful conduct is simply in the way that you choose to voluntarily and willingly follow him. Does it mean that you always and only must follow even when he chooses to lead you into sin? Of course not. If he chooses to, uh, to lead you to a place where it's going to violate a command of the scriptures, you are not required to follow. But when he sees this respectful conduct where it is, she is em- you've embraced what it is that he has said. Maybe you've dialogued. Maybe you've had a discussion. Maybe you've agreed to disagree. But in the end, your decision becomes our decision. And when he sees that, I can just tell you that as a dude, I can tell you when Judith chooses to do that, here's what happens to my heart. I want to serve her. When she puts herself in that kind of a position that says, I'll follow you. Even though I disagree with you, I'll follow you. What goes on in here is I want to get even further up underneath her, and I, I, I want to lift her. That, that's the desire. Now, I'm not saying my flesh always lets that happen, but I'm saying that's what gets stirred. It says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is a fantastic way. Here's what he's not saying. What he's not saying is, ladies don't ever look nice. He's not saying that. In fact, I love coming here on Tuesday mornings. On Tuesday mornings and Wednesday mornings, we have these Bible studies that take place here. It's 1 Samuel going through here, and then it's, it's, it's Revelation. And uh, the fact that somebody's t- teaching Revelation, hats off. That, doing that is incredible. And I'll tell you, these ladies get dressed up. And they're not getting dressed up for any dudes because there's no dudes in these Bible studies. These ladies are getting dressed up. Why? Because it's good. It's right to do so. Now, God did not limit it to this, but please go back to the garden and to the creation and and God creates. And one of the things that we know that he's created in in women is women are agents of God's beauty, both internally and externally. And it is good and it is right to look wonderful. Peter is not saying don't ever do that. What Peter is saying is this. Don't give all of the attention to the externals, to the exclusion of what's going on inside. And here's why, he says. Because this is eventually going to turn 95. And it's not going to look at 95 like it did at 25. And that's just the way that God has it set up. But this right here is also going to turn 95. And guess what? Oftentimes at 95, this thing is even more beautiful than it was at 25. And when this thing right here continues to grow and develop, husband still will always, we're dudes, he's always going to notice this. Okay, we appreciate God's beauty. But this right here is going to become more and more prominent to him over time. Ask any man in our congregation, any of them, who is married to a woman who has followed the Lord for 20, 30, 40, 60 years. Ask any of them what they think about their wives. And you will hear them today say, I love her far more today than I did when we were 30s. This thing will not fade. 
It will only become more attractive over time. And if you are treating him out of what is growing and what is developing and what is becoming more and more Christ-like, your godly life is going to be far more compelling than your persuasive lips. He then says it is to be with a gentle and quiet spirit. This term gentle is one of my favorites in all of the New Testament. It's the Greek word prouts. It is used in classical uh, Greek language in many fantastic ways. I've told you this before, but the best way that it's used in classical Greek literature is of a wild stallion that has been broken in so that even the smallest of children can be placed upon this horse that has all of its strength but is now under control. Gentle means strength but under control. It is not weakness. It is meekness. Same word is used of Moses, that Moses was the meekest man in all of the Old Testament. And need I remind you that Moses killed people. Not weakness, it's strength, but it is under control. This term that is used for a quiet spirit does not mean silent. You can be extroverted or introverted. Um, You can have strong opinions or light opinions. It has nothing to do with volume in here. A quiet spirit has to do with this, that at the end of the day, you have the deep-seated confidence that God is in control. It doesn't mean you never, ever, ever worry. That's not humanly possible. It means that when you see yourself going down that road of worrying, of giving in, you choose to go to the person of God and say, oh, God, help. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is this gentle and quiet spirit. Now notice, it's precious in God's sight. The term gentle and uh, and, and quiet, Jesus uses a similar expression of himself. He uses the exact same term, uh, uh, gentle, in Matthew chapter 11. And he uses the term humble of heart, which in many ways has um, a, a similar concept to it. When he says this is precious in God's sight, I don't think he's making any mistakes about it. He's already told us that Jesus is precious in God's sight. And he's saying here, ladies, by the way, you have an opportunity to put on display to your husbands, Jesus. So Jesus being equal with the Father, in value, substance, and glory, different role and function, decided that he would voluntarily, willingly submit himself to the Father's will. And it's at the name of Jesus that every other name pales in comparison. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It is people know who God is because of Jesus. So ladies, you have the opportunity to put on display Jesus to your husband and to a watching world. And that's why you choose to follow. You don't choose to follow because he's smarter. He's probably not. You don't choose to follow because he has more character. He probably doesn't. You don't choose to follow because, and list any other things. Choose to follow because you trust God so deeply that you're willing to do what may seem crazy. (laughs) So follow him for him but then lead him to him. I wish I had time to consider some of the parallels that we might think of as Peter, or as Paul rather makes the comparison that we are the bride of Christ, the church. I wonder what it would look like in society as a whole if we 
chose to function like this as well. What might the world see, those who do not yet know God, in our lives of choosing to submit? Now, just a few verses to husbands, but I will tell you, one of the most frightening passages in all the Scripture comes to me right here. Likewise, husbands. Likewise refers to the same thing that it does to, to uh, wives here, meaning for the glory of God. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Live with your wives means just that. Be with your wife. So be physically present on a consistent and ongoing basis. It does not mean that you don't travel. It does not mean that you don't go to work. It just means that you physically come back into the presence of your spouse and you stay there. You live together. Once again, are there plenty of husbands that fulfill this technically? Yeah. But then what did he go on to say? In an understanding way. Now what does understanding mean? Well, that which comes most naturally to all men. It means that you understand the psyche and the emotion and the depth of your wife's heart. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> now, again, when Peter is writing this, the original audience that is hearing this is saying, are, are you serious? Because women in this particular culture were more like property than they were like people. And women were, 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 it was expected, it was a cultural norm that they would give up everything in order to just be associated with the man. They are the hood ornament. They are there for his uh, 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 pleasure, support, etc. all of that. Peter and Paul come along and they start talking about how wives now are separate people, individuals with souls, human beings, capable of doing the same things that men do. Again, when, when our modern-day culture reads this, they tend to say things like, oh, Paul, that Neanderthal, Peter. That, they were so liberal, for their, so progressive for their day and age. But it had nothing to do with politics. And everything to do with saying, what does God think? And what was God's design? So husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, meaning this. You ready? It is your job husband, to initiate getting to know your wife. You ask questions. You probe. You listen. You discover. You learn. Do you know what makes her tick? Do you know what her hopes are, her dreams are? Do you know what her fears are? I'm not talking about little things like just your favorite color. That's good to know. That's fine. What's your favorite 80s song? Clearly an essential question. But what, what drives her in life? Live in an understanding way. And then it says this, showing honor to the woman who is the weaker vessel. This term vessel is used many times and it's used almost always when it, as it comes to the body. She is the physically weaker specimen. On average. Not true in every marriage. Not true in every situation. Please do not hear me say women have no strength at all. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you compare the average dude and the average woman, 
that, that there is, um, the, the male body is built with more power and more strength. Now, please don't send me letters. Yes, he's referring to something that's physical, but he's also referring to something else. Again, he talks originally about the government. He then talks about workers. I mean, they're masters, and now he's moving in here. What does it mean that they're the weaker vessel, not just physically, but it also means that their status in this day and age, this culture in which we're talking about, they did not have the same kinds of rights and privileges, and they did not have the same power. So since she is the weaker vessel, husband, treat her with honor and with respect. And know this, she is a co-heir with you. Her sal- she ain't getting to God just because you know God. She may have gotten to God before you did. Now think again, he's talking to husbands and now he's, who, who likely have uh, wives that are not believers However, it would be less common in this culture because it was the accepted practice of the day that the wife would take on whatever the religion was of the man, at least take it on externally. But I think he's writing here about what about those wives who are just there with lip service, that they're just there saying, yeah, this is what coach wants. But what what do you do with them? How do you lead her to him? Well, you treat her with honor and respect and you get to know her and you understand that she is an heir with you and the grace of life. You treat her like Christ treats people. Now, this is where he closes. Because if you don't do this, guys, God ain't listening to your prayers. Now, did you hear him say this to wives anywhere? Hey, guys, you want to fall down on your job? You want to just treat this woman in whichever way you want to treat her? You want her to be there simply for you, to build you up, to support you, to, to go along this journey with you wherever you go? You want somebody that's going to help you fulfill all of your dreams and ambitions? And so you're just going to treat her as if she's just along for the ride? Jesus says this, then do not come and talk to me because that's not how I treat my bride. I lay my life down for her. I use my authority for her good. I treat her with honor and respect. And and if you're not going to do that, I don't want to hear from you. So believing husbands, I would say for us, get after it in two places. Number one, learn what it means to live with and understand your wife. Knowing that this is God's will. He has called you to this. And then hit your knees for your bride. You don't have to. It's a choice. But if you want God to listen to your prayers, then I would suggest doing this. Can I close it with this? When I was thinking about this particular passage and preparing for it, there were all sorts of things that went through my mind. And 
And I had prepared to read to you this commentary from this brilliant woman who uh, many believe, it, it really is, it's the best commentary on First Peter. And, and, and so she talks about um, uh, what submission looks like. It's going to look different in every marriage. It's going to look different over the cultures. There are, and, and all that's good and right. I, I can't get past this when I've been looking at this passage for the last several weeks. That the relationships that are most valuable to us Peter gives us some very concrete ways in which we point to Jesus. And I know that as a pastor, as one who is used to speaking on a regular and consistent basis in a wide variety of contexts and groups, I am just longing for those that I love the most to just listen to me talk about God. Because I think over the Years, I've seen that for whatever reasons, people have paid attention when I, when, I, when I talk for long periods of time. Doesn't mean they're always into it. Sometimes my words can be persuasive. And I get so frustrated when those that I love the most do not want to hear from me. Because I desperately want to have impact in their lives. And what Peter is saying is this. David, trust God so deeply that you are willing to follow Jesus and treat people, treat the government, treat your employer, treat your wife, treat all of those around you in such a manner that you're living with honor and respect and dignity. And regardless of whether someone is a believer or not a believer, that you hold them up in the proper place where they are image bearers of God Almighty. And when you live in that kind of a, of a manner, God will take the attention of all those around that he's calling to himself. He will take their heads and he'll look them in your direction. He'll say, look, look at that life. And it won't be too terribly long that God will take them to someone. It might not be you, but God will take them to someone that has the answers for why it is you live this way. What you do right now, how you treat your spouse, your children, your employer, even your government, how you live right now, people are watching. And you may not find out for another 10 or 12 years, but God may be using your very life to cause them to question this whole religious thing. I challenge all of us to trust God so deeply that we are willing to first and foremost hit our knees and let the bulk of our talking be this direction. And let our lives do all the talking that is necessary. Heavenly Father, I pray um, that for each of us, as we talk about what it looks like to submit to you in each of these relationships, be it with the government or be it with our, our workers, um, our employers, um, or even be it in the home, God, I pray um, that you would convince us that you really are powerful enough to look good in our skin. So for those of us uh, here at Wildwood who claim to be followers of Jesus, um, Father, don't just inspire us, 
but I pray that you would empower us. Um, Help us to live the kind of lives that you're talking about right here. Um, That would be compelling. And, And so, Lord, I pray that you would not let us get away with not praying. For our children, for our husband or wife, for our parents, for those that you have put in our lives that are closest to us that do not yet know you. Father, I pray that your arm would not be too short, and I pray this very week. You would reach in in time and space in their hearts. Father, would you move and stir in them? And if you choose to use us in the process to, to give them the gospel message, so be it. If you want to use anybody else, that's just fine with us. But I pray that you would redeem and save. Many of us have specific names, and God, I pray that you would redeem them. We love you. We trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.